Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter. This is a podcast celebrating the irreplaceable and unique role that mothers play in their children's lives and giving a voice to those children who love and cherish their mothers, no matter what. In this edition of Mothers Matter podcast, I'm talking to Dion John, who is a mother from Enfield, which is in North London. And we have a great discussion about the issue of knife crime, which is of particular concern in the UK at the moment, because it seems to be, well, it's definitely it's on the rise. Uh, But Dion is someone who's not only concerned about knife crime, but she is trying to do something about it. And not on her own, she is trying to involve the local community and uh, looking is has set up a six-point plan for action, practical steps that can be taken to combat knife crime. So as Mother's Matter, I was really keen to speak to her, partly as her in her capacity as a mother to find out how uh, she finds being a mother and her experiences, but also to find out what it is that mothers can do to fight against the issues of knife crime, to um, attack the underlying uh, cause causes of knife crime. Um, For people not in the UK or even people in the UK, uh, knife crime, total knife crime was almost 40,000 knife crime incidents in the year up to the end of September last year, 2018, which is up two thirds from the lowest point of knife crime in March 2014. But London itself has 168 knife offences for every 100,000 individuals. uh, And the second highest in the UK is 72. That's the West Midlands. So London is a real problem spot for knife crime. And there's much discussion about what has caused it and what can be done about it. But Dion is an inspiration in uh, feeling concerned about the problems and then putting into action some plans to try to address it. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Dion, can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself, please, and your family setup? Right. My background is um, I was not a stay-at-home mother. I was a, very much a career mother. Um, well, not a mother. I was just a career woman. And um, once I had my first child, I wanted to stay at home because I felt this, I fell in love. I felt this overwhelming love for her. And I thought I was the best person with my skills and experience to mother her. Um, And each day got harder to leave her. So um, I decided to have all my children clustered together. So I've got two years apart, three children. Um, And by the time I had my second child um, and I stayed home for a bit, I was ready to go back into the workplace um, because I felt I explored all the opportunities of being a mother at home. (laughs) But um, good news I had a third child and I decided to stay at home to give her the same opportunities and the benefits that the other two had. And by doing that, I had to sort of rethink who I am, what I wanted to achieve, because I'm getting older. And so when I left work, um, it was very much a time where I thought I'd be rejoining the workforce shortly. And then once I was at home, I realised the mothers at home are undervalued because I was doing a lot of the same things that I used to get paid £40,000 to do. And then now I'm getting paid teas and coffees and, <laughs> um, you know, 
you know, goodwill sort of thing, bartering system actually, babysitting, that was part of the exchange sometimes, you could babysit my kids so I can go out and things like that. So that's sort of the background of mm. why what, I started. And what work home. were you doing before you had children? I was in uh, corporate life and I was dealing with uh, projects, I was the head of a projects office and my background was in marketing. All right, what sort of projects for you? Uh, not very exciting ones, <laughs> but exciting to me. Uh, there were IT projects. Mm, okay, right. And, and how old are your children now? My children are 18, my daughter, she's just gone off to university. Mm. And my son's 16, doing his GCSEs, and my youngest is 14, so right. two years apart. Uh, how have you found the university transition? All transitions are difficult because that's the first time, everything. Mm -hmm. So my daughter's just gone off to uni and it was helping her through that process. And But what I realised that uh, a lot of people say that parents or mothers need to be at home at the beginning. I mm -hmm. think you need to have a job which is flexible so you're there all the time. Because there's no particular one period of their life which is better, I think, because I've now got an 18-year-old. Mm -hmm. And the transition from primary to secondary was very important. I needed to be there. Um, transition again from GCSEs to A-levels, I needed to be there. So there's lots of different transitions. Mm. Somebody has to be at home. Somebody has to raise the children. That's what I'm saying. I think with all these, uh, when my, my children are 10 and 13, and when they were going off to start, well, starting primary school and so on, you realise that as a mother, your identity is consistent and constantly changing because mm. you're constantly saying goodbye to different phases. Mm. And people don't recognise what transitions mothers are going through when particularly you hear about when they go off to university and in September, Jeremy Vine always does a phone in from mothers <laughs> whose children are about to go off to university. And mothers are constantly being flexible, but have to always be consistent. Mm. But their identity is so wrapped up with the, the children and what state of children are. Are you a mother of a primary school child, a mother of a secondary school, a mother of a, a you know university student, mother whose children have come back to live back at home, <laughs> or what, whatever? That uh, I think it, um, identity is a really interesting topic for mothers and how you see yourself in relation to what your children are up to. And the most difficult thing I found being a mother at home is the um, access to resources. Mm. At work, you had a department called HR, which <laughs> dealt with certain things. You had another department called something else. Yeah. So you knew where to go. There was always mm. somewhere to go to. At home, if your, if your child's transitioning, there's no department called transition <laughs> department. So you go to get advice and information. And depending on what age groups your friends, your personal friends are, children are, they may not be in the same group. Mm. So there's no one you could turn to for advice and experience. So I found that quite daunting. Because well, you do, because also when they, I remember when my first one started primary school, I felt like I was being treated as though I was four and a half as well. <laughs> and I say, I'm still, I still remember corporate life mm. I am still I am quite senior in my mm. own mind and mm. you think that I'm a four and a half year old mm. who has to be banged into place by the teachers you know we do not want any parents transgressing on school territory mm. and all that sort of thing so you're you're constantly um you're seen as a function of your children as and you're, you're not seen, seen at all your, yes and you're <laughs> not seen you become invisible I noticed when I was pushing a pram suddenly you could walk past any young man and they would look at you at all. you're totally irrelevant to them because you had a pram but uh, and and how have you um, spent your life when you've not been actively looking after your children if you've been involved with any projects very much I've been involved in lots of projects as I said I came from a background of marketing and project management 
quite dynamic and exciting. So initially I threw myself into the school, into the PTA. I got involved there, used my skills and experience to be the chair of the PTA and get raise money and that was very fulfilling. And then wider, I wanted to um, get more experience and get, get wider networks. So I started to work for the council in terms of going into secondary schools and supporting kids with advice on CV writing, interview skills. Um, that was, again, very rewarding. So you went to the council and then did they fund you or did they well, just was, make you possible? I was headhunted. I mean, oh. was the right words. Oh. I was headhunted as a mother. Yeah. Um, my so she, she'll have loads of time. <laughs> She's at home full time. She well, won't no, be doing anything. I was, because of the job I was doing in terms of the mm. PTA and my engagement with the parents, other, a parent who was working full time saw an opportunity that they needed someone from um, and from the community who they'll pay to deliver these um, skills into the school. And she approached me and I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. By then, I haven't been working for, say, five years. So I thought, can I do it? Stand in front of kids. They can easily suss you out if you're no good. But I went in and within you know, half an hour, sort of all the confidence came back and it felt like a drug. It felt like, wow, this is good. I remember this. And I wanted more of it. So I, I gave more of my time if they said, are you available? So I worked across Enfield um, going into secondary schools. I saw different types of children and different types of support, which was very good for me because I felt quite privileged to be in the position I was. Um, and, I, and I enjoyed the work. So were you helping secondary school children trying to get onto the job ladder? Well, what they had is like a work experience day. So the whole school would close down or a certain year group and people like myself would come in and we'd be given a programme, a training programme of work. And based on our experience, we can add value to that piece of work um, to uh, give them benefit of our experience. So, for example, if you're doing interview skills, you would work with the class with the teacher there as well. We'd work with the class and uh, we'll role play. Uh, we do questionnaires, we do fun games. We just did a lot of uh, engagement and interaction mm. with the children. And and is there anything else you've got involved with since then? Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a main part because I was still very heavily involved in the school. So I was doing this as a sideline, but that became more and more at one point and I was less involved with the school until funding dried up and that was no longer option in terms it comes in frequently now I still do it and then for my children at their own school I volunteer for free because I see that's my payback into the school um, and since then uh, very more recently I got involved in a project Southgate Task Force what was happening was that I saw a lot of increased crime and um, youth violence and my children are teenagers I want them to be able to go out on the streets and engage and be involved but I was frightened um, so I decided to have a, t a meeting a public meeting and gusto I went into it thinking there's no barriers and I started talking to people inviting people um, I first put together a flyer paper flyer my daughter laughed at me and said nobody does that these days mum <laughs> Quite embarrassing considering my background in marketing. So I said, what do I need to do? So she put together a video for me 
um, which I put on YouTube. And then within three days, it had like 500 hits. Mm. I said to my daughter, I don't know 500 people. So <laughs> how does this work? And she said, this is the power of social media. And what, what were you saying in the video? Well, the video was trying to engage uh, commun the community to come along to the meeting to have their say. I didn't really want to get really involved. I, what I wanted to do is to bring the right people into the room. So um, we invited the borough commander for um, the police borough commander, um, the MP, we invited youth leaders, ex-gang members. So we had a panel of people and mothers at home matter mm. as well to give a perspective of um, what the community is like and what we want to say as the community to stop crime and gang related issues in the area. And did you say that was in Southwark? Or no, Southgate. Southgate, oh, that's it. Yeah, I was just thinking, so that's Malsh. Enfield, I'm afraid. So it was, local, it was local things happening. Yes. And the area was changing. Mm. And I thought, we need to do something. We must go do something. We're the community, after all. So, as I said, it started getting traction, the video. And um, I was excited. Considering I didn't really like social media in the beginning, I was checking every day. <laughs> <laughs> how many hits I've had and so, why I say to my friends you must like me <laughs> children eating packet meals and, yeah. uh, in front of the TV but I did like, two yeah. videos in the end because the one I the first one was aimed at parents really so it was a bit more calmer and then I did a really hard hitting one very action focused knives you know really in your face with a strong sort of um, video message behind it and that was sent off to the the youth's because I wanted them to be involved as well. It wasn't just parents or adults having the conversation. So when we had the meeting, we had a, we had a breakout group of the youngsters and I invited the youth workers to speak to them. Did, did a lot of young people come along? Oh, they did. Oh, it was quite it? impressive. Great. We had, in terms of the uh, questionnaire, we had 35 people fill in the questionnaire mm. and we had over 300 people turn up to the meeting. Wow. So, and that's just filling in the questionnaire before the meeting. So we had people at the meeting. They, I, so I, invite, I said, this is a community thing. You bring your children. Um, I want you to hear their voices. You might be concerned that you don't want them to hear too much about the knife crime, etc. But we have a separate breakout area which they can express themselves on what's their um, take on all this. And when, when did this take place? That was in May last year. Mm -hmm. And it was a very positive meeting. Um, at the end of it, I was hoping for the individuals in the room to get together and think how they can do things differently. Uh, it didn't happen that way, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I think people came to the room, listened, talked, and they went away to do their jobs, their day jobs. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of when I was at work. Used to, some people go to a training course, had a lovely time, and then went back and did the, what they used to do before. So I thought, again, I have to get involved. But this time, I have to sort of lead on the changes. So there's a number of changes that we wanted to introduce. I, I re-approached the MP and said, we wanted to start a task force. I'm ready to be part of that task force. And what do you need me to do? Um, he's a bit busy with Brexit at the moment. So, <laughs> again, I thought, OK, get on with it. So he has helped tremendously, though. It pointed me in the right direction. Who's the MP? Uh, Bambos, Charles okay. Bambos. Um, so he has pointed me in the right direction of getting networks and contacts and beginning to put together a task force. But the powerful thing is, I'm still just me 
and uh, sometimes I contact organisations in terms of getting information or getting uh, a partnership thing going and um, they say, oh, what organisation do you work for? And I said, no, I'm just a community member and I believe that's a lot of the responsibilities of being a mum at home that you can get involved in your community. You can actually be the person you were before, as I said, but you're not going to get paid, mm. but you can actually still get the fulfilment. And that's what I get out of it, the fulfilment of being active. But what you were saying there about uh, volunteering, I think is crucial because people sit around wherever they are and say there's this problem and that problem and you, someone else needs to sort it. But I, I always think if you're going to give some negative feedback or say something needs to be done you don't really complain about it unless you're prepared to do well, it I used to <laughs> get be, involved I used to be of that schoolie and I used to think that as well but then I realized as I got older that just some people haven't got it in them to give it's like mm. going into McDonald's and asking for wimpy you know it's the wrong place <laughs> they just haven't got it within them mm. and they need people who are mm. leaders in mm. the community to lead them because they're quite willing to help you just got to tell me what to do so it's really important that the leaders in the community, if you're a mother at home, to, to exercise your skills and stand up and say, OK, I can do more, whether it's through the PTA or through some sort of community setting. But be the leader you are in the community and you will get volunteers, you will get people following because not everyone can be leaders, even That's in the true. home setting. That's true. And what, so what, did you, what would you say is the problem? Why is there a problem? What is your task force? What, what do you think the right. steps are? So to the, the problem is huge. I mean, if Sadiq Khan can't solve it and the <laughs> Prime Minister, I can't solve it really. But what we can do is work towards some solutions. We've got six solutions we're trying to look at. We've got the first one called a business watch which is getting the local businesses to communicate with each other using WhatsApp. So it's just something simple, cheap and easy, where if something is happening in the area, they can contact each other via WhatsApp to say, these people come into the shop and this has happened. Mm -hmm. So, because when I spoke to the community, um, the community at large and the business in particular, I said, what's your problems? They said, well, at one side of the street, this might have happened in our shop. These same boys or girls or whoever group will move along and do the same thing to the other shops. Mm. The shop at the end just put loads of people on break because they didn't realise that there was trouble in the area. So something simple and uh, getting them together, that's one of the things we're doing. And that we're doing that in conjunction with the police mm -hmm. and the council um, community safety department. So, so is there a, an increase in crime in general, not just knife crime, do you think? Well, I think there's a fear of crime because it's talked about all the time in TV. There probably is an increase because people probably more report crime. So if something happened to you, you might not have reported it before, but you will start reporting it now because you see it as a bigger problem. Mm. So I think uh, that is part of the problem. In That has increased the um, idea that there is crime, the mm. fear of crime. One of the second projects we're looking at is, we've got six projects, so the second one is called something Community Stewards, which is we've had some problems with local kids, or maybe not so local, coming into the area, terrorising, being antisocial behaviour, and mugging some of the kids in the area. Um, it's happened on several occasions after school. So that's increasingly becoming a problem. Um, parents wanted to think about what can they do and that's great when parents come up with the ideas themselves then I think right I, I can help because you you know you you want this to be done 
and I can apply my skills. So the community stewards are going to be, it's not set up at the moment and we're working with the schools and the PTA. Because again, my involvement with the PTA, I realised that PTA is the best place for this role to sit because every year they get new parents in and parents want to engage and it's their children after all so we're going to be having meetings with the leadership team in the school and the PTA the police are ready and board and the council are ready on board and look at what we can do to support the children after school as a pilot Mm. So that is to deal with the the community stewards. So to, is that dealing particularly with the problem of people coming in from outside? Yeah. So it's providing a community presence after school. Okay. So people want to come in, antisocial behaviour markings. They're just whoa. They see a group of people in high vis jackets, thinking, well, maybe we should go jog on. Yes. Basically. Jog on. <laughs> go to another bar. Yeah. Do something else. <laughs> yes. This is Dion's patch. <laughs> No, not my patch, the community else, patch. The community patch. Yeah. Okay, so community stewards. And yeah. what else are you Third thing is community help point. This mm. was an existing scheme where, where if a child feels vulnerable, frightened or needs some help, um, whilst they're on the high street of Southgate, they had a place to go. So there are businesses on the high street with stickers which, which okay. indicate that they're a community help point. The schools are being informed and working with the kids and advising them what where are the shops. So that's a really good thing for transition, actually. So mm. if you're in year six, going to year seven, your parents could walk the route with you and say, well, that shop and that shop and that place are the good places if you feel... So that's unhappy. somewhere to run into temporarily? Yes, yeah. or just go for your help because okay. as parents Every move month, back yeah. into work, part-time, full-time or whatever, as the children get older, because they, they really want to be independent. So, And although I did say they, they need you there, but not as intense as when they were young, they need you in different ways. So that helps with parents who have to work and can't pick their child up at half three. They can, well, I know there's a safe space there and there and there and there. And that's for any reason. So that was um, reinstigated after the meeting last year where I walked to the street and asked the businesses would they like to get involved. I had over 20 names, um, which I passed on to the group, the council group running that um, service. So would it be just like a print shop or something that they could go and just hang well, out yeah. in there? How, how would it work? It, it, yeah, well, just... if, if a child, for example, if a child feels vulnerable for whatever reason and they've got a sticker, okay. that means that person in that shop has been trained has had a DBS check, which means that they have gone through. Oh, you do DBS checks. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you don't want them out of the frying pan into no. the fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. yeah. So they've been trained, they've had, so they know what to do. So yes. if you've come in and said this, they know from the police, they know 999 okay, or yeah, 101, so. you know, they've mm. been trained on how to handle a child and engage with a child. And uh, so that's good. That's really good. Yeah, that's, that's really, really, really good. good. So there's a number of these spots throughout Enfields in general, but in particular um, Southgate, there are a handful of them as well. Mm. Very good. Uh, and then else? my biggest project, mm. which I should say for last, the fourth project would be uh, therapeutic interventions. This is very new because when we had the crime prevention meeting, a lot of people talked, including the police and others, professionals talked about intervening earlier with the children. It's a, you can intervene at secondary school, but by then you've kind of lost them. Mm -hmm. You really need to intervene earlier, primary school. So year four, five, six, you need to be 
identifying these kids who are vulnerable, supporting them, helping them emotionally cope with frustration and things like that. Because what happens in secondary school is they get to secondary school and they still might have the mindset of a year five child, but then a big body. So they become more looking aggressive and acting aggressively. They haven't learned to control their emotions and deal with issues and frustrations. So... That therapeutic intervention is at very much at the early stage. I haven't got a lot to say on it, apart from that I'm working with um, psychologists in uh, on a programme which we would like to present to the council and the schools to see how we can help as a community. Because the brilliant thing about mothers, they've got lots of skills and lots of... Um, things they can offer mm. and lots of networks everyone, Network everyone meets everyone else and knows people untapped workforce really yes yes and also you have your own interests in your own children and mm. you think i really want this to work so, so you've, got, my children you've got to be passion okay. you've got the passion you've got the mm. insight i mean you can start a small business up just with the network so you've got a friend who's a lawyer one who's um you know uh, marketing yeah, yeah, you <laughs> know, just got, you've got yeah. a range of skills yeah. which you can say right between us yes. we've got business but we just haven't put it on paper and I know you've got a couple more points including an important one you want to make but at some point can you talk about the role of mothers in the home yeah I'll when the children are there as um, well last uh, fifth one fifth one not the last one yeah community engagement but that's mm. that's more about engaging with the community finding out what they want what um what we can do to support that. It could be anything. It could be more swings in the park. Yes. You know, you might go to the park every day with your child and think, oh, we need more swings or that needs to be repaired, but who do you tell? You don't know where to go. So it's about harnessing all that information and actually having somewhere to go. So maybe creating a community hub, a space in Southgate where people can go, a bit like the libraries, which have become old-fashioned, but a place mm. people can go to log their concerns, be volunteer their support and do other things, be a community member. That's again in its infancy, so it's not much to say about there. But my um, big project I'm working on is exclusions. Mm -hmm. um, because whilst investigating uh, crime, I identified that crime is the end result. There's lots of things happening before that a child actually maybe commits a crime or gets involved in gangs. And some of that is exclusion. Because if the child's not in school, they can't, they are vulnerable because a lot of the alternative provisions or they call them the PRU units, pupil referral units, are full and oversubscribed. So there might be a period of time where a child has just nowhere to go because they've been excluded from school. Parents... Both mum, dad has to go out to work, so they can't sit at home and babysit. So the child's at home on their own or not at home, mm. as the case may be, maybe out in the streets with other children like themselves, because you go and find someone like yourself and they may get involved in um, criminality through that point. So the best place for a child of school age is in school. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to be able to do through something called the Voluntary Code of Conduct. What um, it is, reflect, it reflects the Department of Education 62-page document. I know that because I had to print it out in ink. <laughs> and it reflects that. But that 62 pages is way too much for a parent whose child is at risk of being excluded to say, go and read that and see we all, and understand your rights. So I wanted something smaller, more of a summary um, where parents are, at, when their child at risk of being excluded, are given this information. Um, 
I got this idea basically from um, my friend was going through having potentially having her property repossessed and uh, I offered my services to help her through and then she said this is what I've been given from the mortgage lenders and I thought this is fantastic because in the voluntary code well not there there's voluntary I can't remember now but in their code of conduct it, I don't think it's voluntary actually it had where you go for help where what you can do at this part of the process this is the process so it gave you and then give you an overview of what you're going to be, your journey. Hmm. And I thought that's what's needed in exclusions because, because parents are daunted by the process. So you go, either you take a positive um, view and you go in and you say to the teacher, right, what can we do together to work together for my child? Or it's very negative. Well, you're just blaming my child, aren't you? Hmm. Things like that. So yeah. it's really important that parents understand the whole process because if your child's getting into a bit of trouble at the beginning, Actually, then result could be exclusion, and what that means is that they're more at risk of um, getting involved in criminality at the end, mm. and their options are lessened because if they're not in school and they go along to one of these alternative provisions or um, the pre units, their chances of getting GCSEs are in less. No, no parent wants that, and I don't think they would support that if they knew that could be the end result. And I think parents need help. So they need to be signposted into organisations which support parents and parenting classes or just providing information. So if my child was at risk of being excluded and I went along to a meeting with the school, um, they know the process. And it's five of them and me on the other side or me and my husband on the other side. And we don't know the process and we just don't know what's happening and the information's coming at us. So what this voluntary code does is introduce parent advocates who would be go along to the meetings with you advise you of the process advise you of the time scales so you're aware more aware of what you're going to be going through and what you need to do and take responsibility so it's the idea to enable parents to try and change the behavior of the child who might be excluded or to just to know what to do the, the if idea they are excluded is, Definitely, the heart, the heart of the idea is to support the child. Mm. Now, you can't, you, you can't support the child if you don't know, all, you haven't got all, you're not informed. If you're not informed, how can you fully support the child? The school are informed, they know the process, um, and they can support the child to some degree, but they can't do it without the parents. But they need to share that information with the parents. So it's not just about the process, it's about the, the whole big picture. So... Schools are, according to the Department of Education, provide, look at every opportunity, how they can, A, identify a child who's vulnerable um, and support that child, put in interventions. If a parent doesn't understand that's part of what their school should be delivering, they won't be asking the right questions. Mm. And I don't think the schools are deliberately not supporting children, but with funding cuts, and it might be easier for a child to move, they call it manage move, to another school. So you're not really getting along here. Maybe you should think about school A. And the parents might think, yeah, maybe. But apparently that is not best practice, according to Ofsted and Department of Education. You shouldn't be suggesting to parents to take your child. You should be suggesting to parents alternative interventions. Mm. And, and is there um, a background in the right intervention making enough of a difference in a child's life that they're able to stay at the school and not be disruptive or...? 
So on other, other well, things that be there, done. There's lots of research on um, interventions being powerful and being supportive. The earlier, the better. Mm-hmm. So that's why we talked about the primary school. But if it hasn't happened in a primary school and it's happening in the secondary school, it needs they need to work with partners and external agents. So they are the the school. They're they're. Um, Specialist subjects is teaching children geography, history, da, da, da. that's their specialist subject. But um, these other agencies, all they do all day is help children like this. Mm. So it's important for the schools to engage with external um, providers. Sometimes schools think they can do it on their own, and maybe because of budget cuts, um, they can't pay for fees, etc. But what I'm trying to do with the voluntary code is to get, and I'm working with three schools in the area to develop it is to identify what are the key things from a school perspective because you can't put everything in there whilst it will be the 65 page document which we had before so it has to be very much for summary so from a school perspective what is the key what's the drivers in that document which would help them to help the child and then we're going to have a working party with parents who have children who've been either excluded or at risk of exclusion what's it do they need in that document in a summary format which would help them or would have helped them in that process and it's voluntary at the moment but I think because of the backdrop with um, knife crime I and mean, even Ofsted had a report uh, published I think on the, two days ago to say that knife crime is a problem and they know schools are need to take it more seriously and looking at ways of cutting that as a problem so I think eventually we want to roll it out as a pilot in Enfield but it could be something which is uh, no longer voluntary and more mandatory or voluntary, but on a wider scale. So it's looking at what resources or what interventions are available to someone who's on the risk of, uh, the risk yeah, of that's, being excluded. Yeah, that's what the main driver would be is to make the 65 page document um, more transparent mm. and clear. So anyone could look at it and understand because parents are interested in their kids' development and, and supporting their kids. But this is where the mothers at home or uh, mothers caring for their kids come into play. If you're working full-time and you uh, have two jobs, whether there's a father around or not, you, you haven't got time. And then you may have a missed call on your phone from the school. Your child's been in trouble again. Could you please ring? Didn't get that because your phone had to be off at work, so you didn't get that till six o'clock or whenever you leave, so you've missed that day. And then maybe the school might think, you're not engaging. You know, what parent would not ring back straight away when we've left that sort of message? But didn't have my phone, because I'm not allowed my phone, or I was busy between shifts. So, as I said before, I think it's really important that somebody raise the kids, and we can't just leave it to YouTube and the internet, because that's what's happening. And if a kid does gets home at four o'clock, say, and a parent doesn't get home till half six, seven o'clock, that those hours in between, in my day, you go out and play with your friends and you interact and you sort of learn social skills. Nobody does that because everyone's afraid of leaving their kids outside. So they're indoors on, on the computer. But I think someone um, sent a report, just a PhD report they'd done uh, through uh, ages ago to Mothers at Home Matter. And it was very interesting. It was something about, um, I can't remember the details, but the uh, criminal behaviour of uh, children who've been in care. So the extreme end of mm. not being in a family mm. and the issue. And they went into prisons and spoke to them and studied them. And one prison officer said how important empathy is and that a lot of the youth offenders have not got a developed sense of empathy mm. 
And this, I found this so encouraging and because uh, he was saying that if they've never known a raised voice or a slammed door at home, they've never really known their effect on other people. So if you're always in an external environment mm. uh, where, you, you know, no one really annoys you as much as your own children do. No, <laughs> <laughs> no one can wind you up to the mm. same extent as your three-year-old. And you, and it's good to respond naturally to that. Uh, and I always just try and get around it by explaining what's going on. I am now really cross, mm. or I have now. I'm about to lose my temper, and then I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Then I'll be really cross with myself, and that'll be really bad for you because I'll be in a bad mood anyway. But um, for children to see the natural impact of their behaviour on other people and develop empathy. If you're mm. a social worker or you're in a care environment you just say, no, we don't do this. And you're, and you're far too clinical mm. about the whole thing. Mm. And the children can't see the effect, really, that they're having on other people. And I think that's where being in a home environment with someone who's responding naturally can make a big difference. Well, one of the things, I agree with totally what you said, but one of the things they've also identified through research is that um, people join, children join gangs, young children join gangs, but for that empathy, for that friendship, because... They may not get it at home because mum and dad or mum are working all the time. So by the time they get home, they're going off to bed. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying people have to carve out some time, you know, for raising your child. And, that, and it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, if your child's getting into trouble at school, that means you've got to ask questions. And depending on what type of child you've got, because I've got three and all different type of personalities. My eldest, luckily, she didn't get in trouble because she would have been the hardest, because she's very quiet. <laughs> so we would have to be a week before, you know, Monday will happen. You say, oh, what happened at school? Mm, nothing. And I thought, oh, something's happened. But it would be a week later before I can find out to do anything, because she's so inward there's my son it's something he will slam the door ah oh, this happened at school so and I instantly yes and uh, we will talk and we'll sort things out then and there but so different children different needs all in the same household having more than one that makes it more difficult because you think oh god it's sorted i thought i had it sorted from my first i thought oh brilliant child it's all about the parenting <laughs> and then i had my son really challenging in different ways and i thought Oh, it's nothing to do with me. They just come as they come and you just have to deal with it as parents. So you just got to change your style. There's no, as they say, no rule book. So it's really important that children learn the role plays, you know, the skills of engaging with other people, facing disappointment um, at home. Mm. Because I think it's it's harder when it's trying to be delivered through the school because they, they have certain expectations, and some schools operate on zero, zero tolerance, so they have zero tolerance policies, which means, for example, and I gasped at this when I first heard this, a child with a knife, <gasps> definitely that child should not be at school. Until I found more information after I had that first meeting, I had a parent come up to me and said, my child's been expelled because he had a knife. And I thought, oh, a bit dodgy. And then I spoke to her and understood the background of her child. He was an A-star student. He was being bullied in school. Uh, the bullies got expelled, but he lived quite near the bullies. So, but they were still threatening him and threatening to do things to him and his sister, who was continued at the school. But he was found with a knife because on a particular day he walked into school with a knife, and they had zero tolerance. So they, they have no flexibility. Whereas if you have, and I think even for murder, you can have manslaughter. I mean, you have to take con conditions, yeah. you know, into. 
um, consideration. Yes. Yeah. I had a really interesting interview on um, Beyond Today, which is a, a podcast, with someone who is involved in knife crime or he's a knife carrier. Mm. And he was saying that, first of all, he'd seen his father carrying a gun and his father had said, this is my protection. Mm. I need this for protection. And he was saying, and I want to know your opinion on this, that um, as an older boy, I don't know if he was a teenager or a 20-something, he uh, he carried a knife because if he got caught by the police and went to prison, that was okay. But if he got caught without a knife, he <laughs> might get killed. Yeah, so he's yeah. better off with a knife. But he said he didn't think it was to do with drug gangs. He thought it was to do with locations and where, in your hood and where you're from. Mm. And you were just saying earlier, if someone comes into where you're from... They're there to cause trouble. Mm. And it's all about uh, then, then, and he was saying that someone had been killed from his side years ago. So they've mm. gone and killed someone else and they've gone and killed someone else. And they've gone back and forth, back and forwards. And he couldn't, he couldn't think of any way of there being reconciliation or a de-escalation of the whole thing because you have to carry a knife in case you're attacked. Mm. Um, so do you think it's a drug-related thing or just a location? And, well, and are, sorry, are. his neighbourhood was his family, yeah. as we were saying. They were uh, the people he identified yeah. with. I think um, it's not definitely not all drug-related. There are going to be the, the ringleaders, the elders or elders, as they call them, who are um, manipulating and grooming. There's always going to be that group. And then it's going to be... And I think they prey on the groups who form... It's a, bit, it's a bit like having a, a primary group and a secondary group. So the primary group are just the ones who feel, oh, I just want to be a bit more boisterous. Uh, you know, they're talking about gangs and guns and things. So I want to protect myself. I a, might protect himself like this chap did and got expelled or just felt that's something to do to prove myself because I might be bullied at school and I think well if I just take out my knife then they'll leave me alone because actually when you're being bullied it's really hard you see no way out mm. um, and you feel isolated they say, oh talk to the teacher talk to your parents because oh. my mum would go mad and say the wrong thing and march up to the school and maybe accuse the boy so that's not going to work the teachers mm, I've seen it before the bully still bullied the person who was being bullied. And, you know, you, you're just thinking, I just suffer it through. And you, you think, right, if I then if they come up to me and I have a knife, they might leave me alone. You're not thinking rationally. You're just thinking how you can protect yourself. And in terms of what you see in your role models, um, there's a sort of turf wars. It's all about turf wars. And it's turf wars not even within the same area. So if somebody's from one group of flats and the group of flats across the road is another group, they have wars, and I just think it's it's all part of growing up, to be honest. It's nothing new, but they're just using the wrong tools to grow up. I mean, fist fighting is, seems old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore, so nobody has to get good at it. Um, carrying a knife is the weapon of choice, and that's what they do. They carry a knife, and you're part of a group that carries a knife, and... Um, you get some kudos from the others in the school or girls or whatever that you've got you're, you're in this gang you know uh so it is about the role models so is that about um identity and the sense of belonging and oh, this definitely. is who i am and definitely yeah definitely i spoke to um my local vicar when i was asking him to join our um, task force 
And I said, the gang leaders have got your job. Because that's what the church used to do, go around, you know, collecting <laughs> yes. the lost souls who needed support. Um, and I think that's true to some extent. That That's what's happening. If, if, if you feel disenfranchised for whatever reason and you have nowhere to go and you think your parents don't understand you and you're spending more time alone with your own thoughts. Because the amount of hours, children, even my children spend too much, but the amount of hours children spend in front of social media... And they're just talking to people like themselves or bloggers who are like themselves or giving them this false information. They have no adult intervention. And maybe the only adult intervention they have on a sustainable level is at school. But then they're not talking about crime. They're talking about maths and English and other things. So the way they learn is through their friendship group, which might not be the right thing you know the right place to actually be schooled so are you saying uh, to save the vicar and church time what they need to do is just get the gang leaders into <laughs> get them to become christians and then uh, well, their followers em- can follow they it's just go just for the that, top um, <laughs> empathy because i think people go into it and they get hardcore when they feel nothing to lose i don't mm, think because you said yeah. about going into prison i think that's not even that's not bad. It's it's about here and now. It's survival here and now. So if I get if I have a knife, I can protect myself. I'm going to be belonging to this group, which feels good. Somebody knows my name, a bit like cheers. <laughs> Whereas but less friendly. Yes, but less friendly. <laughs> not but so do you easy. What I mean? I think it needs to be replaced by Groups like that in the yeah. community where somewhere for people to go. I know they talked about youth centres. That could be part of the answer. But maybe other groups as well, maybe sports things which are free. Because at the moment, I know they give schools a lot of sports funding. And they can use it for anything. They could put a netball up thing up and say, well, that's it. There you go. That's what we've done. Yeah. And schools have a lot of uh, sports funding. But then that's just in the school. Why don't they open up the school on a Saturday then? So a group, an organisation, a charity can use that ground to run something for free or, you know, peppercorn ring. Do you think in terms of what mothers can do, um, if you have a 16-year-old son roaming the streets, if Mm. you were able to make yourself available, give up your job or whatever, so you're aware you probably can't because Mm. you're probably very (laughs) impoverished anyway, um, but you have your six... would, Would they actually respect the mother enough? Is it too late, really, by the time they're 16 and carrying a knife and roaming the streets? It's really them? hard, I think, to manage children. Because um, I've got a 16-year-old. He's not roaming the streets. But he's... But you're at home. You're, you're I'm, there well, to I'm, care for him. Yeah, I'm there you? in a flexible way. I'm not there totally because I do work else and I run my own business and do other things. But I'm there in a more flexible way. Um, but it's really difficult for parents to manage that transition because there's no guidance. Mm-hmm. Now, even something simple, I talk about social media. Um, when my son started school, they had something in the school where they invited parents in to talk about social media and grooming online, etc. And then one of the things we took away from that is that we should have a cutoff date, time, for taking away all their uh, social media. Because we didn't think about it before. We always be chasing them and it was really difficult. And then we, once we had that eight o'clock cutoff time, it was just, that's the rules. Mm-hmm. And we got it from your school. <laughs> so it was just easier to manage. But... I, that wasn't I, that was something I can learn from my parents. If I asked my parents about what what should I suggest as a couple, they wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Mm. You know, why can't yeah. you just take it away from them? And you think it's easy, but I know myself, my wind down time in the evenings, I get my iPad out and flick through and look through social media myself. That's you know that's how you know. In, initially, when we had um, a TV in our front room, 
all, everyone was in the front room watching TV. Now everyone's doing their own thing. My husband's at his laptop watching something, headphones on, I'm doing something. Everyone's, it may be in the room, but not all engaging in the same mm. thing. So you can't have that conversation. And what we introduced in our household is um, on Sundays to have sort of a talking session um, where we get the news. Everyone could choose their own newspaper. So they have their own newspaper and then we all have that family time of reading the newspaper and they've all got the same information, but told differently. So each of the family members could choose an article and say, well, I've just chosen about this or that. And why did you choose that? And they explain. So we have that communication. It's really a good time to, you know, to talk as a family and understand the wider issues because we're discussing it. Mm. That sounds like a really good idea. Mm. But uh, do you think, going back to the whole, um, what do you do if if you've got to the point where your children are on the streets? Because it always seems in the media that mm. parents get blamed when things go wrong, but they never get any credit if, <laughs> if they don't get right. It's the parents' fault that the children are on the streets, but they're not talking about the ones who have prevented their children from going yeah. on the streets because yeah. they've been around. But I just... I, I mean, I, want, I just don't know what you can do when they've got to that point because the, it seems to me that the focus is so much on their peers that mm. if you have a, a strong mother, could she come in at that point or would they just I, I leave, still believe, just I still believe in community. I think right. um, if your child is showing signs of not listening, I mean really not listening, and wanted to, you really can't stop them. If my 16-year-old son said, I'm going out, I could say, oh, I can say, no, you're not going out. But then if he chooses to go out, he will go out. And nothing I can do about it anymore. So hopefully we've raised him that he's got good values within him and he would respect us and listen to us and see that there's consequences. But in some cases, if you haven't got that and you've lost it a long time ago for whatever reason, then it's really difficult to say, right, my son's 60. Because I I did this analogy when I did the... um, the public meeting, I said, which is a bad mother? The mother who's got her 16-year-old child upstairs with his friends, but smoking a bit of pot, so she knows where he is, and it's a bit of pot, it's all right. Or the mother who doesn't know where her 16-year-old is, which is the bad mother? Because they both are working in the same area. So if your son's out and you don't know where he is and he's involved in a gang, that guy might have supplied this boy who's upstairs smoking a bit of pot. I mean, you're encouraging it by saying, oh, that's okay as one value but that's not okay so mothers should stop judging each other and support each other so you think that a community involvement the main thing that everyone has to be like a, a almost a big family on the streets that's well, where the children are yeah well a big family in all ways you know mm. um i was walking on the road and i saw this the youth style of having their trousers halfway down and I is that said, still in that was oh. in 10 years ago the uh, i know but the now apparently they just they don't see the underwear they wear shorts underneath oh right so, just... so that means they're deliberately doing it so i went up to <laughs> the young boy he's about the same age as my son and i said come on pull your trousers up and he laughed because he was with his friend and he said and his friend laughed said yeah i keep telling his trousers up and they took it in good spirits but that's me doing my little bit, you know. Mm. As you know, he didn't look like he was going to harm me, so I just said what I had to say, and and maybe that, you know, that's something people would have said twenty years ago to someone, you know. Oh, not that in particular, because maybe that was an issue, but something else. Oh, you've dropped that, or you've mm. done this, you know. I know your mum, or you know, because lots of the kids, because the work I've done, um, looking after breakfast and after school, club, looking after young kids. The time goes really quickly and then you see them, they're 16 and you think, I know you because I remember when he was four. (laughs) So you do feel some affinity with the kids, I see. But it's really important that mothers 
support mothers. Well, there's also a bit of a loss of authority as well, that people don't respect older people, that the fact that you've said something doesn't mean anything. But I do think if you, I mean, you do have terrible cases where someone tries to get involved, then they get killed. But I think sometimes just diffusing the situation, if if someone goes out, I know in when we lived in Reading, in a very leafy area, mm. there was some party across the road that most people weren't invited to, but they turned up anyway. Mm. So they were hanging out outside our house, and it was all just youths. Mm. So I said to my husband, I'll go out and just talk to them because mm. uh, I'm a middle-aged graying woman you know I'm very <laughs> unthreatening and I went and said to them what are you doing here this is really boring this is a really boring residential mm. street just go somewhere else mm. and, and I think they they moved on but then later that night um, more people had arrived and then someone had knocked a car or something or other so I went down again and uh, and started talking and one of the teenage boys who started trying to practice French on me and everything they were just bored they were mm. hanging around but some of the girls were trying to phone their parents and they they and I said just move away from here but I was able to be in there and slightly diffuse it because you can't mm. really take yourself seriously if you're hitting a middle-aged woman mm. I mean you can but I said to my husband not to get involved because there's a lot more kudos yeah so take a yeah. swipe at him yeah and then someone had called the police because someone had seen a knife and all the people who were innocent ran away mm. <laughs> and all the people who been swaggering they just mm. sort of wandered off but if you can get involved because they're just 16 mm. you know they're only young really and uh, I don't know if that would work in every situation but uh, but you just talk to people on a level and remind them of who they are they're just people. I just think talk to them on a human level yeah just um, because some of the things that I've been watching a lot sort of gang related why people turn to gangs and they talk about respect Mm-hmm. And they want respect and they carry the knife because of respect and they've got their family. They call them fams and that's my fam. And I think, you definitely are not engaging with your real family, but you have to go to the, these people to get the respect. And I think that's that disengagement bit. If you feel like at school you just don't belong and you're just going through and there's nothing there for you. So that's why it's a society problem. So one of the things we did, I did do after that meeting is go, when I went along to the businesses, asking them whether they get involved in different initiatives, I also said, would you give the children work experience? Because maybe the parents haven't got the time to, to, fight, to help support their child to get into work experience. So the child has to go themselves, but they're 16 and they don't want to go to the shop. And it's not cool, that's not a cool shop. But then it's like my son, when um, my daughter, in fact, when she was doing her work experience, I thought I sort of, I thought it was my role to support her and getting her somewhere. And I asked around to a few shops her first sort of Saturday job, oh, would you like to, you know, and that took time and effort because I had to do it at the weekends. And when you go to the shops at the weekends, they're busy. That's their busiest time. I don't really want to speak to you. But, you know, <clears throat> I sort of was showing her through um, modelling behaviours that this is what you do and you're going to get knocked back because some people just say, no, and then others will get involved and, you know, so it's really, the fam- the real family is really important. And I do understand that some people haven't got real families. There's drug abuse, there's mental issues in the real family. So that is cut off. And that's when I say, my jokingly said about the priest, but that's where you need another family, mm-hmm. the good family, rather than the gang family, which is not, and I think we... How clever are these 16-year-olds? How come they can, you know, beat us as the community members, the elders, real elders? Mm. You know, we need to get into... We're older. We need to get into social media. We need to put videos out there. There is... Um, what's the music called? Grime. Grime. Grime yeah. music. So my son was listening to this Grime song, and then I heard about these two old guys. One was a music teacher, and uh, maybe I shouldn't say old, but elderly, more elderly. And um, 
one of their students, when they teach them piano or whatever, violin, talks about this grime. So he listens. And then him and his mate came up with a song themselves. I love the song because <laughs> it was a good positive message behind the beat. Mm. And then I played this to my kids and I went, oh, no. But then they released another one with a, another a well-known rapper or someone like that. And then now they're listening to it. And it's these guys who in their 60s, probably, 50s, 60s, have made this, this new, this grime song. But, you know, so we shouldn't alienate people because they listen to certain sort of music. You know, try to understand, try to influence, use what the technology is today to be part of that, to influence. Like they've done recently with um, Facebook to take off images of children cutting mm. themselves, etc. You know, you need to stand up to some of the organised... They can't just run roughshod against what... You know what's decent because mm. it's all emerging. There's no there's no um, guidelines. Everything's on there because that's how it all works. Parents don't really understand it. I don't didn't understand it. I'm learning more and more. And if I'm going to be around in the next 10, 20 years, that's it's going to be all that. So I need to get on board now. I've been lagging behind, but I really now need to get on board. A to understand it for my children and to be able to influence others in the positive direction. Well, thank you, Dion. We've got to end it there, but that's just been brilliant. So I think you're saying that, you know, don't give up. <laughs> that mm. There are things you can do, um, that you can do things in your own home in terms of giving your children a sense of belonging and love as well, loving them. So they don't need to look for it elsewhere. But if they are looking, you know, for children who are looking for it elsewhere, that you engage the wider family mm. and the community and mm. everyone, it's everyone's problem and everyone has to get involved. So mm. it's really inspiring what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, please do get in touch with any feedback or if you have any ideas for future podcasts or if you have a story you'd like to tell um, about being a mother or anything else. Or if you'd like to contact Dion Direct, also you can get in touch with me and I'll forward your details to her. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Mothers Matter Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Podcast Mothers, and my email address is mothersmatter at outlook.com. I'm Claire Pay, and thank you very much for listening. There'll be another podcast along soon. <laughs>